Hey friends, it's Weston, and I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. Thank you all for uh, being good in the masking department, and if just remind everybody, we are a masking church, so I didn't want to be staring at anybody, so now I'm going to look. There you go. That's it. You just didn't want to look at anybody, you know, but we're trying to keep everybody safe as we go through this and not ruin it for any other church, because this is for free. This isn't part of the sermon. One of my life goals is to never, ever be on the five o'clock news. Because, like, anytime it leads, the story, like, leads with local pastor, like, fill in the blank, it's not good. Like, it's not a positive story. So, like, the 10 o'clock news, they tell, you know, good family-friendly stories. At 5 o'clock, it's dodgy. Don't want to be there. Anyways, that's my own proclivity. So here we go. Today we're talking about what God calls us to in terms of sacrifice um, I was listening to a podcast not that long ago. It's called The Art of Manliness. I'm not a regular listener, uh, although the content is pretty awesome, and I've heard um, several from that particular podcast. But The Art of Manliness, they had this um, speaker on. He was an English professor, and I'm going to just totally nerd out with you here for a second. But the guy was there to talk about how to read, how to be a better reader, how to actually read for enjoyment and enjoy what you read. And he he said something I found like just mind-blowing for, uh, you know, it, it's stuck with me. He said, the reason we don't ever finish books, the reason you've got like 10 books on your nightstand, the reason that you've got, you know, bookmarks and several books that you don't ever finish, it's real simple. He says, we read the books we want to have read, but not the ones we want to read. Uh, so for instance, you know, you maybe have started War and Peace because you feel like you should read War and Peace. You want to have read War and Peace, but you don't really want to read it because it's long. Um, you know, that's like, like Dickens, you know, who really wants to read four and five pages of him describing, you know, a room or a lamp? I mean, that's painful, uh, but you'd like to be able to say, man, I've read all of the works of Dickens. It just sounds good. It sounds smart, right? Uh, we want to have read, but we don't want to read. It's true in about every area of your life, if you think about it. Some of you are going, I'm not a reader. Yeah, that's fine. But I know a lot of people that want to have run a marathon. They want the sticker on the back of their car, but they don't actually want to run you know, the 26 miles plus. They don't really want to run it. They want to have run it. You know, we find ourselves in this place in a lot of places, right? You know, we would like to be thin, but we don't want to lose weight, right? We want to have a, a better job, but we don't maybe want to put in the work. We want to have a great marriage, but we don't want to be sacrificing. You know, there's a lot of things we want to have done, have, be finished with, but we don't want to go through the process of it. And as Christians, I think this is one of the things that the world finds really you know, unattractive about Christianity is we turn our half-baked ambitions into prayer 
and we say, God, if it would be your will, help me to run a marathon. Amen. Open the bag of Cheetos, sit on the couch, and watch people run. This is, this is how this works. You see the inconsistency here. We want God to sort of open these doors and to magically have transported us through the work into a place where we have accomplished it, but we don't want to do the work ourselves. And I'll tell you, it's, it's hard to get some of the places you want to go in life without taking the work, doing the service, making the sacrifice. Now, we're not alone in this. Like, we're not the first Christians to have invented this or to come up with this. The disciples were guilty of this, too. I, I want to look in here. Mark chapter 10 is, is where I'm going to be. Uh, if you've got a Bible or a Bible-enabled device, you can follow along with me. It's Mark chapter 10, verse 35. We see about these two disciples. Their names are James and John. It says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him, that's to Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Do you hear this prayer? They're sort of saying, hey, Jesus, listen, we really want you to just sign a check. Give us a blank check. We'll fill in the details later. Will you do for us whatever we ask of you, Jesus? And Jesus says, uh, what is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, oh, grant that one of us to sit at your right hand and one at your left in glory. You see, here's what the disciples want. They want the blessings of Jesus. They want the rewards of Jesus. They want Jesus to do whatever they will ask of him. That's what we want. We want Jesus to do whatever we ask of him. We want him to answer our prayers. We want him to make us super spiritual, but we don't want to spend the time, you know, reading our, our, our Bible, studying God's word, praying. You know, we find it hard sometimes to just, you know, even tune into church or make it to church, you know, but yet we want God to do this for us, make us this, you know, really profoundly deep Christian person, but we don't want to put in the effort for it. We want Jesus to do whatever we ask of him. That's what the disciples are asking here, James and John. Let's just set the scene, because Jesus has been teaching and preaching now publicly for three years at this point in time. And he is entering into uh, sort of this season where he's going to Jerusalem. And in the next chapter, we see what we call the triumphal entry. This is where Jesus goes into Jerusalem for the very last time, leading up to his crucifixion. And what happens is Jesus is such a famous figure. He is such a celebrity at this point in time that people are following him everywhere. And we expect that there's hundreds of thousands of people who are swarming around Jesus as he goes into Jerusalem uh, on that, uh, that very first day there of the last week of his life. And Jesus comes in on that Palm Sunday and he enters and he is surrounded. And the disciples know this is coming. They hear the buzz. They've seen the crowds. They know what people are talking about. They expect Jesus to be made a king very soon. And so they take Jesus aside and they say, hey, listen, Jesus, you know, we've been with you for a while. We've been with you the three years. We'd really like that corner office in Jerusalem. We would really like, you know, when the temple becomes your palace, we would really like to have a really great office. We'd really like to be sort of number one and number two in charge. Jesus, we're tired of being assistant to the regional manager. We would like to be the assistant regional manager. Some of my office friends out there, it's okay to laugh. That's fine. That's what we want, Jesus. And Jesus, he speaks to him real, real straightforward. He says, hey, listen, this isn't quite how this works. 
You see, they want the rewards without the work. Let's, let's pick up here in Mark chapter 10. Here's what Jesus says to them. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized? And they replied, we are able. Now, I, I want to point out a few things here. Jesus does not rebuke their ambition. He just says they don't understand the cost. I think that's us a lot of times. We ask for rewards without the work. Jesus doesn't stop them and say, no, man, it is wrong for you to want to be important in my kingdom. He does not stop them and say, it is wrong for you to want to be seated at my right hand and at my left hand. He does not say, this is bad. He says, you don't understand what it takes. It's not just something that I give to you. It's something that you have to earn. The problem, though, is that we often just have these good desires you know, I think that most of the things we want in life are probably pretty good things. The question is, is our desire going to be transformed or motivate our actions? Here's, here's the issue, and I think the disciples have this, and I know we have this, is that we view heaven as sort of a pass-fail situation. You know, either you make it into heaven or you don't. You know, either you make it into heaven and that's a pass, or you, or you don't, you go to hell and that's a fail. You know, that, that's sort of how we look at this. But that's not really how Jesus teaches it. That's definitely also not how the Apostle Paul will sort of explain it to us as he's helping our early churches and Christians understand what Jesus was saying. Uh, really, Jesus is saying, listen, I've come to do for you what you can't do for yourself, and that is to get into heaven. That is to, to have your sins forgiven. You can't earn that off. You can't pay that off yourself. I've come to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That is to bring forgiveness to you. But the rest of this is, is, is kind of on you. I'm going to help you. The Spirit's going to be there. I'm going to give you an example, but um, there's more to it than that. You see, you get this picture that when we get to heaven, that, that you know, we've got a place that God's made for us, and it's an amazing place, and it's a wonderful place. But what the Scripture makes really clear is that in our life right now, we have the ability to earn amazing rewards that will be with us in heaven. We have the ability to earn something that will last with us for all of eternity. And we do that through the works that, that Jesus has given to us. That when we work for the kingdom of God, we earn rewards in the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus has come. That's what he's told us. He said that he would give us good work with great rewards. Jesus wants to give us that good work with great rewards. Now the question is, what are these works that we're talking about? Well, uh, we've already talked about some of them. Uh, we think in terms of big things often, but many times they're smaller things. You know, it's, you know we, we've talked about this already. We've talked about this, this cup of hospitality or generosity where we invite people into our lives, where we make space in our lives and our time and our calendars so that way other people can come and we can have an interaction with them. Where we're generous and we give so that way others have what they need. We're generous so that way God's work can go out and can be accomplished. Those are all amazing things. Now, the thing I've been trying to push us towards and I've been trying to see myself is that often the stuff that is super spiritual, holy, and matters so much is stuff that is normal and common and everyday. You know, the generosity of maybe buying a friend's lunch who's struggling right now or of carving out a little bit of time for that coworker who's really going through a hard time. Or, or maybe you, you show up because you know that you know, there's some help needed for meals on some of these holiday weekends, and you go, man, I'm going to help with that. And you just carve out an hour here, two hours there, and you go, man, that wasn't much. It doesn't seem like much, but it really does matter. These are the works that God's provided for us. Last week, we talked about the cup of forgiveness, that cup we share with other people, where we extend forgiveness to people. 
Now, I know when we think of forgiveness, we can go really big. We can think of the cross. We can think of Jesus. We can think of how he has forgiven us. And, and we think, man, there's nothing I've got that, that's, that's that big to forgive. But how hard is it to overlook the small things, the little things that add up, the annoying things that you know, a coworker does or a family member does? And, and we just sort of you know, can't let those things go. And really what God's calling us to do is to forgive, to move on. That's how we overcome evil in the world, not with more evil, but with good, with forgiveness. You know, every time that you get together, you send that text. I know it's coming to the holiday season, and it's here in this holiday season when if we don't get together, we'll at least see some of those family members we don't see except for the holidays. And some of those people we're thankful that we only see a few times a year. I get that. I understand. I live in reality with you. Um, but then there's some of those folks that we just don't want to see at all, and maybe it's because there's stuff between us. And what we really need to do is to, as we leave here today, the most spiritual thing you could do is send them a text and say, hey, we need to talk, or hey, I want you to know that I'm sorry. You call them and you say, listen, we, I want to work this out. That is an incredibly holy, sacred act that God calls us to, is this act of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of working things out. And, and when we do these kinds of works, that's when we do the good work for the great reward. Jesus offers that to us. He offers us that work. He continues here in Mark, and I want to, whoops, wrong page. I want to continue here with this text. Jesus says, after they said, yes, we're able to be baptized with the baptized you're, you're baptized with, um, he says, you will drink uh, the cup that I drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. You see, Jesus has come here to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, but he's also come to show us how we can do what we can do. You know, Jesus didn't come to save us from work. He came to save us for good works. That's what scripture talks about. He calls us to do good works that show his kingdom. And again, this isn't about earning salvation. Jesus has taken care of that. This is about participating in the reward and in the return of God's kingdom. And let me tell you, the return on an investment in God's kingdom is eternal and infinite and incredibly valuable. Jesus came to show us the kind of work that we could do, the work of sacrifice and of service. Now, the disciples, they're going to you know, think, man, Jesus, yeah, we can drink the cup you're going to drink. It's going to be one of these really you know, fancy cups. That's the kind of cup you're going to drink. Yeah, Jesus, we can be baptized with the baptism you're going to be baptized with. That sounds easy. We could do that. But little do they know that something bigger is coming. You see, there's an image with that cup. You, know, you drink that cup. It comes inside of you. There's that internal suffering that Jesus is going to go through as he is rejected by his friends and by the people that he loves and created. And, and he's going to wrestle with that. Jesus is going to be baptized, he, and we're not talking about water baptism, we're talking about the suffering he's going to go through on the cross. He's going to be baptized in his own blood, practically, is what's going to end up happening. And, and he is going to go through that suffering as an example, not to save us from suffering, but on how to suffer with grace and love and compassion. And the disciples are like, yeah, Jesus, we can totally do this. And Jesus says, yeah, you know what, you will. You, you will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. You will drink the cup that I drink from. Here's the thing, the disciples will all die a martyr's death. These two in particular, James is going to be the very first disciple who is executed, beheaded by Herod. He's going to be the first to go of the disciples. John will be the last, and he will actually die a natural death, the only disciple that will. But it's not until he's tortured by Emperor Domitian and until he is exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Those things will come first. They will follow the footsteps of Jesus' suffering. 
We call it his passion because it shows his great extent of love for us. Now, again, as we think about what is that place of sacrifice and service in our lives, it's probably not nearly so dramatic as to suffer martyrdom or to to sit under torture, thankfully, under some emperor. It's not to to go to a, a physical cross, but it's those small, everyday kinds of things that we are called to do, those small sacrifices that are sometimes easy to overlook or or we don't want to do them, right? We don't want to help somebody, uh, you know, with a project. We don't want to help that person, you know, with, with that, that task that they're doing. We don't want to help that person move. Goodness knows we don't want to help them do that. But those are the places that God's calling us to. You know, maybe it's a small sacrifice. Like, man, maybe we've both had a really long day, but, man, tonight I'm going to do the dishes because I want to show that I love you and that I value you. You see, these small acts of sacrifice, these small acts of service, they're really divine moments if we'll grab a hold of them. The problem is often we just overlook them and we let them pass. Jesus is calling us to service. He's calling us to sacrifice. Yes, it might be a big sacrifice. Yes, it might be a big service, but I think often most of our lives are lived in these small sacrifices and small acts of service. That's what God's calling us to. It's that good work with great rewards. And the news is this, is that our good works, our greatness is determined by our works, not by our rewards. I, I want to look here at this uh, text, finish it out here. Verse 41, it says, when the ter- 10 heard about this, this is the rest of the disciples heard about James and John's question. They began to be angry with James and John. Now let's pause for a second and ask the question, why? Why are they angry? It's because they beat him to it, Right? <laughs> It's because they were like, ah, man, I wanted to sit at Jesus' right and left. Man, I wanted that place of honor. And they beat me to it. It's sort of like the ancient equivalent of shotgun. They didn't have that invented yet, but they called it, right? They called shotgun already. And so James and John, got it locked in. And they're mad because they beat him to it. And Jesus sort of calls them in, calls a timeout, calls a huddle. He says he calls them to him. And Jesus gives them a little talk here. He says, you know that the Gentiles, those are the people that don't believe in God, that that aren't following me. He says, you know those whom they recognize as their rulers, the people in charge. He says, you know what they do. They lord it over them. And they're great ones, the important ones. They are their tyrants. Verse 43, but it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking about himself. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, time out. Greatness isn't defined by your office. It's defined by your occupation. Greatness isn't determined by your rewards, but by your work. It's not determined by your status, but by your service. That's how greatness is determined. I got a list here of a few people. Maybe you've heard of these names. I'll read them. Let's just see. Uh, Mozart, you heard of this guy? Yeah, he, he died penniless and was buried in a pauper's grave. Vincent Van Gogh couldn't sell a painting during his lifetime. Now, good luck trying to buy one. William Blake, famous author, influenced Wordsworth, couldn't sell his pieces during his lifetime. Edgar Allan Poe also struggled. Uh, you know, the raven had nothing on him at this point in time. Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin. You know, people, historians, they look at the cotton gin and Eli Whitney and they think, man, this is maybe what started the Industrial Revolution. The guy also died very poor because his invention was so simple. Anybody could really make it and it was hard for him to enforce a patent. 
And yet we wouldn't look at any of these people and go, man, they're failures. We wouldn't look at these people and go, man, they weren't worth anything. We don't determine their life's worth by what they died with. We look at what they've contributed to us. We look at the contributions of music and how some of these people redefined art and poetry, um, how some people you know, here into, you know, changed business and the way that we do business today. I mean, these people were revolutionaries. They were amazing. They were some of the greats. Why? It wasn't because of their reward, but because of their service. It's true for us too. I mean, think about the people in your life that you would say, man, that was a great person in my life. Just go back a few years. Go back, go back to when you were young if you need to. Who was that great teacher? Who was that great coach? Who was that great youth leader, that great pastor? Who was that person that, man, really changed your life? Maybe it was a friend or a mentor. Were they great to you because of what they had? No. They were great because of what they gave to you, what they invested of you, for the times that they carved out to get a cup of coffee where they said, we're gonna just share this right now. They were great because of how they invested in you and made a difference and helped you accomplish something or become the person you are today. We say, man, that's, that's a person that's great. That's what greatness is. Greatness is defined not by the reward, but by the service. Jesus says, I can't give this to you because it's something you have to earn for yourself. You, I think we've spent too much time praying for the reward and not enough time for the opportunity to serve and to work. As our worship team comes out, I, I want to challenge you to be thinking about that prayer. God, give me the opportunities this week. Give me those moments where your great love that's at work in me could come out and be at work in somebody else. Jesus, give me the opportunity to serve. Give me the work, Jesus, that allows me to serve you and your great kingdom, God. That's what we're really wanting, is those abilities to invest in people and invest in God's kingdom. This morning, we're getting ready to sing this song, and we're going to celebrate God's great sacrifice through Jesus and how he came to us, not just to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, but to be an example of greatness and what it means to be great people in service and in love to others. As we sing the song, I think we should probably say thank you. I think that we should probably say, God, would you help me to follow in your footsteps? And I just want to say this. Perhaps there's some of you that have never accepted Jesus Christ and you've never even thought about what it would mean to follow him. I'd love to talk with you about that. I know it's COVID. I'll have my mask on. I'll sit over here. I'll be outside after service. Love to talk with you. Uh, you can call the church office, send us an email. We'd love to be in touch. But God invites us all not just to join his kingdom, but to join his work. And that's that work of greatness and love. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing.